Good chilly afternoon to you, Lafayette and Acadiana. This is Joe Cunningham here on News Talk 965 KPEL. Glad to be with you guys on this cold and dreary day. It has not been a very, very uh, fun cold day. I hope your kids had a great day at home. I know teachers probably secretly felt a little bit relaxed to be at home uh, today. But it looks like everybody will be returning to school. No no winter weather other than the hard freeze warning that we're still looking at for this evening. Uh, no wintry mix or anything like that in the near future, according to all of the forecasts. Y'all, what's happening out there? I woke up this morning to a text from Bernie. Uh, who, Anytime I'm on the show on Acadiana's Morning News, Bernie makes sure to play at least one meatloaf bumper. And I, I wake up to the text saying that... Uh, Marvin Lee a day meatloaf had passed away at the age of 74. It's horrible. I love, I love meatloaf's music. And, and it's, uh, I, it was late last year that we lost Jim Steinman, who was, resp- who was a great, uh, who was a great songwriter musician who wrote a lot of the hits that meatloaf was famous for. We, we'd already lost Jim Steinman and now we've lost meatloaf himself. And then later on in the day, Louie Anderson, uh, brilliant legendary comic, Louie Anderson, uh, also passed away. Uh, and this comes, you know, not too long after we lost Bob Saget, another legendary comedian and just a, a, an overall fixture on American TVs throughout the 1990s. So this is a very, very strange time. My Here's my theory. We have reached a critical mass of celebrities, thanks in part to the rise of social media influencers and reality cannot take there being that many famous people, and so it's just unable to handle it. We're losing at a higher rate the the legends that we grew up with. But whatever the case is, a horribly sad day. In fact, just kind of looking at the computer, I see that uh, one of my favorite Meat Love songs is actually on the bumper rotation for today, so very glad about that. Uh, and we will, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very sad about this for a while because I, I love uh, hugely impactful. Meat Love is hugely impactful on my on my musical tastes. Uh, grew up, uh, my dad had the Bad Out of Hell 2 album, and, and I listened to it a lot. And uh, one of the most underrated musical albums, by the way, is Bad Out of Hell 3. Uh, the third installment of that rock opera trilogy did not get the fanfare that the first two got. So Bad Out of Hell, the, the first album, uh, nobody expected it to, to become what it was, but it was a... a well-received and famous albums. Uh, and years later, they decided, well, let's do another one. And nobody expected there to be a sequel album to Bat Out of Hell that would be worth anything. And everyone was surprised at the commercial and critical success of Bat Out of Hell 2. Songs like I Would Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That. Uh, just... A, 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 just shot up the charts, and there's so many great songs on, the al- on that album besides that one. Uh, I'm, one of my favorites, like I said, is coming up in the bumper list later, Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire. Um, everything Louder Than Everything Else is a theme song of mine, frankly. And then Bad Out of Hell 3 came uh, in the uh, early to mid-2000s. And at that time... Uh, one of the one of the songs on it that is just an amazing song is uh, one that Jim Steinman wrote, and it was originally uh, 
Steinman, Meatloaf wanted to sing it, and Steinman was like, I'm not sure it's right for you. Meatloaf insisted it was the right song for him, but the most famous version of the song went to Celine Dion. Um, it's all coming back to me now. Um, Celine Dion made that song famous, but on Bad Out of Hell 3, which I cannot find on any of the streaming services anywhere, which is very weird, but Bad Out of Hell 3 uh, featured Meatloaf's version of It's All Coming Back to Me Now, and it is a beautiful song. Uh, also, uh, the song Blind is About, lot, lots of good songs on that album. To me, a very underrated album. Did not get the success I thought it deserved. Uh, but Meatloaf did have some other albums out there. Hang Cool Teddy Bear, which is uh, also another phenomenal song. Just so much out there. And then Louis Anderson, um, well known for his comedy, for his acting work. Uh, the animated sitcom series Life with Louis was fantastic. I need to find that on the streaming services to show that to my kids uh, because, again, it's just it's just wonderfully brilliant stuff. But the loss of, of two legends today was very, very just kind of traumatic as the day went on. I'm glad that when I was out of school today and not having to teach so I could properly mourn this. Anyway, 232-1542, if you want to be part in the convert, if you want to take part in the conversation today, uh, also, if you want to check us out on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And if you miss any part of this show, of course, you can check out the podcast on Apple and everything else. Uh, in the headlines today, so uh, the most immediate thing, uh, this came uh, a couple hours ago, about an hour and a half ago, uh, we saw the breaking news. A federal judge has struck down, or not struck down, has blocked uh, Joe Biden's federal worker vaccine mandate. Now, this does not mean it's dead. It just means it's being blocked while it proceeds through the court system. This will also go before the Supreme Court more than likely. The federal judge ruled that uh, the issue was whether the president can, with the stroke of a pen and without the input of Congress, require millions of federal employees to undergo a medical procedure as a condition of their employment. He added, this judge did, that Quote, under the state, the current state of the law, as recently expressed by the Supreme Court, is a bridge too far. The argument is that the president's job is not as broad as as the action he took. The idea that he could require with the stroke of, of a pen millions to be forced to take this vaccine. Now, this is going to end up being somewhere between the OSHA mandate ruling at the Supreme Court and the uh, health care worker ruling at the Supreme Court just last. Uh, was it last week or earlier this week? I forget. But the the OSHA ruling was that this federal agency was taking a power that was not granted to them by Congress in its formation. And it was simply too broad an action. The health care worker ruling from the Supreme Court was that if this if if these healthcare workers work for uh, a healthcare group, be it a hospital or whatever, that has taken federal that has been take, that has taken federal money, the federal government does have the right to enforce this mandate. This falls somewhere between that, and I think if this does go to the Supreme Court, like we expect it to, the courts will probably lean more toward the healthcare worker ruling than the OSHA ruling. But that's again. Not set in stone. That's just kind of my prediction based on on what we're seeing right now. But it will be interesting to see this go forward. Regardless, it's once again another blow to uh, Biden's power, especially where it comes to COVID-19 and this whole idea that 
there was a federal solution to COVID, but now there's not a federal solution to COVID. And the Biden team just continues to struggle with all this. We're going to talk about a whole lot more coming up. Uh, I want to talk about uh, this made-up attack from the Washington Post on Governor uh, Ron DeSantis. I want to talk about some of the things we're seeing coming that, that will be coming before the legislature in the March session, uh, some education issues in the state, and a whole lot more. 232-1542, if you want to take part in the conversation, we're going to take a break here on The Joe Cunningham Show and be right back. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965-KPEL. Uh, glad to be with you guys today. Just looking at some of the headlines for today, like I said, a, a federal judge has blocked Joe Biden's federal uh, worker vaccine mandate. That will uh, inarguably go before the Supreme Court before too long. Looking, I, I want to I want to look at Florida real quick. Florida has taken a beating from COVID, but has handled the crisis pretty well. And it drives the media insane. Ron DeSantis being successful at anything drives the media insane to the point where they're actually going to take a quote and add a claim that he never made to it in order to try to attack him. This coming from the Washington Post. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican, a foe of, max, of vaccine mandates, appeared to suggest Thursday that getting a shot to protect against the coronavirus could cause infertility. Quote, think about how ridiculous it is that they're going to try to force the nurses to get immunized, he said in a speech announcing funding for nursing certification programs. A lot of these nurses have COVID. A lot of them are younger. Some of them are trying to have families. Nothing in that quote there actually implies that getting the, is, is, is implying that he's saying, or, or is him implying that getting the vaccine would hurt would would cause fertility issues. Nothing he said there. He was speaking at an event where the gov- the state government was giving like two point three million dollars or something like that to nursing and vocational programs to help recruit students in a time of a healthcare worker and other worker shortage. Here's what's so dishonest about it. The speech was given The Post, MSNBC, and other outlets are actually cutting off a key sentence from the DeSantis quote. A local outlet in Florida actually gives you the context that you need. I'm going to give you the quote again, but I'm going to add the sentence that they cut off. Think about how ridiculous it is what they're doing by trying to force nurses with these vaxes to, you know, a lot of these nurses have had COVID. A lot of them are younger. Some of them, they're trying to have families. There's a whole bunch of things that they have going on. And so they don't want to be forced to do it, DeSantis said. You see the shortages in there anyways, and now that is adding to it. That's the key sentence of context here. You see the shortages in there anyways, and now that is adding to it. That is the full context of his quote. That last sentence was cut off. The Washington Post cut off that line in order to make it sound like, in in order to accuse, make it sound like, DeSantis was saying they don't want to get the vaccines because it will hurt their ability to have a family. In one sentence, in that one cutoff sentence, it's very clear that DeSantis is talking about how vaccine mandates will only make a shortage of nurses worse. Young nurses who are wanting to get married and start families are getting let go from their jobs because they aren't getting vaccinated. It's a controversial policy. 
On one hand, potentially spreading the virus from staff to patients is a medical and legal nightmare. On the other hand, you're looking at a shortage of nurses because of the virus and other circumstances and already we're deciding to let them go. Health health companies are, are healthcare providers are trying are, are saying we're going to let these nurses go if they don't get these vaccines. DeSantis is looking at it like a mathematical equation, and his solution to the mathematical equation is we need more workers. I don't support vaccine mandates on nurses and healthcare staff. We don't need more barriers to work. That's the solution he's coming to this mathematical equation. You can argue, and some might even say successfully, you could argue that in the cost-benefit analysis, it is more harm than good to have staff walking around unvaccinated, possibly with the virus, possibly asymptomatic, but still able to spread, giving it to vulnerable patients. Again, medical and legal nightmare in that situation. You could make that argument for the vaccine mandate. You could. But DeSantis, and I agree with him, is saying that given the shortage of healthcare workers, and especially now with this variant and the treatments that we have available, it makes more sense to try to keep the number of healthcare workers up than to let them go over just this vaccine. But the media take off a sentence of context in order to make it seem like he's some crackpot conspiracy theorist type, all because they are frightened of the possibility that Ron DeSantis will one day be more than governor of Florida. They're terrified of him being governor of Florida right now. They think Florida should really be a democratic state because of all the Hispanic voters and the demographics there and everything. Never mind that the Democratic Party is chasing away Hispanic and Latino voters. They are terrified of him. If you wanted to analyze his quote, like I said, you could do so from the perspective that the cost-benefit analysis is simply this is too much of a risk and that they need to be vaccinated. But to straight up take him out of context and invent a claim he didn't make and then run a story on that thinking, oh, we got him, is just irresponsible journalism. Not that really we should be expecting responsible journalism right now. I mean, it's pretty clear that the media can or won't be objective where a Republican is concerned. I mean, I suppose at this point, we're lucky that DeSantis uh, wasn't accused of pay-for-play after they went and found some hospital board director that had donated money to him because they've done that before. And it's really tragic that there's a greater than zero chance that that could still happen. But they're terrified of DeSantis. And that's why they're also pushing this thing. You heard Bongino talk about it on his show today. This, this media story about this bubbling animosity between DeSantis and Trump. And they're trying to push that out there and they're trying to make that a thing right now. Because they don't want either of those men to have a shot in 2024. Because if either of those men have a shot, the Republicans have a shot. I think DeSantis is more likely. But they don't want either of those men because they don't want to risk it. Biden and the Democrats are incredibly weak right now. They are very vulnerable. And a charismatic Republican is all it takes. So they are terrified. And they don't want DeSantis 
or Trump to get any extra leg up, so they want to pit them against each other right now. Now, all of this vaccine talk, to add to that, the CDC is now moving the goalposts. Now, once again, I'm coming to you as somebody who is vaccinated, somebody who's had COVID-19 despite being vaccinated, somebody who was considering getting the booster shot. And I'm furious that the CDC is moving the goalposts again on this because at some point, at some point, the CDC is going to have to face a reckoning over the muddled messaging that they've had throughout the course of this virus. They are once again changing the definition of what being vaccinated means. Biden's CDC director is now saying that the definition of fully vaccinated is being changed to include the booster shot and fully vaccinated will now be called up to date. I'm not mad at the prospect of having to get a booster shot. I get a flu shot every year. I will get a flu shot again this year. What infuriates me is that the government has routinely laid down, uh, set up these goalposts. They've routinely laid down their markers. And they've said that this is the definition of such and such. And then they change it. And then they change it again. And they're not changing it based on the science or based on the data. They are changing it because things are not going the way they want it to go. The virus is still out there. People will still get the virus. But the use of fully vaccinated or up-to-date on your vaccinations for something that is going to be endemic like the flu or like the cold makes no sense. Everybody is going to get some form of this virus at some point, whether it's now, whether it's next year, whatever. It will become a seasonal virus, just like the cold, just like the flu, just like that sinus infection I always get when the weather changes. God, that drives me crazy. This isn't a vaccine that you're getting because you want to avoid getting it, like uh, the MMR vaccines or anything like that. This is something that you take to lessen the severity of it or lessen the odds that you get it. But they're changing the definitions and they're muddling the message, and it's no wonder that a lot of the American people are resistant to it. 232-1542, if you want to call in, be part in the conversation. When we come back, I want to talk about what could be ahead for legislation concerning education here in the state of Louisiana. Some whispers of what's coming out of the legislature when they come in session in March. We'll talk about that and more here on The Joe Cunningham Show. I'm so mad right now. I I went to the store earlier today because I had the time to do so. I'm planning on cooking this weekend, red beans and rice this weekend. Um... I'm I'm thrilled. Last night we had uh I I was I thawed out some gumbo, some seafood gumbo that I had frozen and it was a cold night. We were preparing for the day off today. I was like, "You know what? I want some gumbo. It's cold." So we made it. I used up the last of my rice. 
So I started making a grocery list last night because I knew I was going to need some rice. Rice was at the top of the list. I get to the store. I get the sausage I need. I get the ham hocks I need. I get all the other stuff I need. I get some pantry organization shelves. I get some uh, some of those nice little plastic containers that you can get to store dry goods like red beans in. Get all that. Get to the front. Um, I, I'm 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 so excited. I get a I get a rotisserie chicken because I want to make chicken salad. I, I use that. I put that through the food pro- food processor, mix in some mayo, make a quick, easy chicken salad. Got all my stuff. Get home. Go through the rest of my day. Change the light bulbs at the house. Do show prep. Come here. I'm thinking about, oh, man, I cannot wait to cook this weekend. I forgot the rice. I am now furious with myself and also with Walmart because clearly the rice was not in front of my view very efficiently. So this is clearly Walmart's fault. Also, probably I was still in mourning from the whole meatloaf and Louie Anderson thing. Uh, But other than that, I think it's been a pretty good day. I'm going to go after the show to get some rice. And I'm going to get a big thing of rice because I'm tired of running out of rice so quickly. We go through it a lot. Uh, but red beans and rice this weekend. I know a lot. I, I've, I've had the conversation with a lot of people. They like to do slow cooker red beans and rice. I like to get the, the stock pot out and do it over the stove. I like, for some reason, I just like that process a whole lot better. Um, I have a cast iron Dutch oven that I love using for these sorts of things. And it, to me, it really makes a difference. 232-1542, if you have any of your own little cooking tips, or if you just want to say what you're cooking on this cold weekend, are you doing something for the playoff games that we're going to be uh, living through, or are you going to be doing something simply because it's cold? Whatever it is, I like to talk cooking. We can talk about that on the show as well. A little bit of interesting news uh, just kind of comes across my my email. Economic news today for Ohio. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you why this is important here in a sec. Um, Intel is bringing manufacturing facilities to Ohio. Joining Intel already is Amazon, Amazon and Facebook in this particular region in Ohio. This is big news for the state. It's great news for the state, great economic news for the state of Ohio. But one of the interesting things is that Intel and other companies are referring to Ohio as the Silicon Heartland. For years, decades even, we've heard about Silicon Valley in California. So what's happening? California's tax burdens, general lawlessness, and all of its other governance issues are making even the most progressive companies like the big tech companies want to leave. And so they're getting out and they're moving into a place that doesn't have those same tax burdens, those same governance issues. They're moving to a place like Ohio with Mike DeWine. And they are moving to these places and they will do they will have a wonderful economic impact, except this is the problem that Ohio is going to face. A lot of the tech folks will be imported from California or wherever, wherever they're moving out from. And they will bring their voting habits with them. If they haven't learned their lesson, they're going to turn Ohio into what California is. And and Ohio's always been kind of that bellwether type state where uh, the demographics and the breakdowns, the county breakdowns, everything like that are very similar to that of the U.S. as a whole. So whichever way Ohio goes... Uh, For years, the belief was wherever Ohio goes, the country goes. Ohio 
has been flipping back and forth between Republican and Democrat quite frequently. So while it's Republican right now, that could change, especially if big tech companies bring their liberal employees in, despite the fact that it's conservative policies that are bringing the companies to these states. They will influence the vote there. So Ohio needs to be careful. Now, there is the general uh, dislike of governments offering these big tax incentives and and you can and companies can go incentive shopping to try to figure out where to 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 bring down uh to to lay down the foundations for a new factory or or whatever but overall the fact is the silicon valley companies moving out of silicon valley and looking at places like ohio is bad news for california and it's good and anything that's bad news for california at this point may just well be good news for the rest of the country More locally, this from The Advocate. Uh, This was from a couple weeks ago. Teacher pay student learning loss among education priorities for 2022 regular legislative session. How to address Louisiana's worsening teacher shortage, teacher pay raises, and steps to recover learning loss sparked by the pandemic will be key topics during the 2022 legislative session, officials said on Monday. The Louisiana Federation of Teachers, Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, and the Louisiana Association of Educators have crafted their or have started crafting their education priorities ahead of the regular session, which will begin on March 14th. What the state can ex- can do to ensure every public school classroom has a teacher will be one of the topics. One of the things right now is the government has no way of really incentivizing people to become teachers right now. The pay rate in the state of Louisiana is still far below the regional average. And it doesn't help that we have twice now uh, seen teacher pay raises of very minuscule amounts go before the legislative session, go, go before the legislature and get passed. That big, uh, right before his re-election, that big $1,000 a year pay raise amounts to roughly $88 a month for teachers. And it is, a, it, it, it's a great talking point, but it doesn't really mean anything. When APEL uh, offered, they, they proposed three, to, you know, something like three to 4,000 in pay raise would have been much more significant would have been much more noticeable and would have made teachers a whole lot happier. APEL put that forward knowing full well that the teachers' unions and John Bell Edwards would be against it because the money wasn't, they would have to raise taxes for that. So the the teachers' unions and John Bell Edwards opposed it then, but they want to do these incremental increases that teachers won't really notice. The state's average is like $51,000 a year for teachers. Here locally, it's not that high. It, it's dependent on how many years you've spent in the system. If you, had, if you have a master's degree or any uh, extra education or anything like that. But overall, teachers in the state of Louisiana are paid far below the regional average. And I'm not necessarily advocating a teacher pay raise. Obviously, it's a conflict a conflict of interest. If I do, you guys say, well, Joe's a teacher. Of course, he wants more money. And you're absolutely right. I would love more money. And if you want to donate to the Joseph Cunningham Foundation for the advancement of Joseph Cunningham, I'm all for it. But the solutions for teacher pay 
over the past few years have not been very acceptable because teachers will not really see anything out of it. And the unions will push these salary increases a lot. They're, they're super excited about, about pay raises because the higher your pay, the more money that goes to the unions, and they can use that for more advocacy. It's one of the reasons I'm not in a teacher's union. I do not want my money to be given to a group that advocates for policies I don't agree with. Teachers' unions are very teacher-forward, and I would like my organizations that I would be part of to be more student-forward. Consider the students' needs more, which is why I like the idea that's going around other states of having the money follow the children rather than having the money go to the schools. Let the money go to the families for education. Let families decide where to send their kids to schools. The teachers' unions, the public school systems all hate that. It wouldn't have that much of an impact here in Lafayette because we already have a school choice system. But in other places, it would drive them furious because you will have families that get this money and say, oh, we can take our kid to this school that's, that's better off. We can use this money possibly in a private school system or a parochial school system, give it to a charter school system, and not have to be in a public school that is performing uh, that is performing below expectations, that is not providing uh, a safe environment for my kid or whatever. The unions and the, and the, the policy makers hate that. The, the education policy makers hate it. I'd be for it. I would love to see a whole lot of stuff like that be brought forward in the legislature this session. I'm just not sure that we're going to see a whole lot of conservative advocacy on education because... When can I ever expect to see a whole lot of really conservative stuff make it very far in the legislature, given the way the Republicans run things? We're going to take a break. 232-1542 if you want to take part in the conversation. This is The Joe Cunningham Show on KPL 965. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965. KPL, glad to be with you guys today. Uh, real quick, I wanted to mention, uh, I, I've, I've had a problem now uh, with social media, and it is tied to this new game that's been going crazy, uh, this new mobile game called Wordle. I don't know the game. I don't know what it is. If any of you want to call in and tell me, go for it. But everybody on social media is getting addicted to it and sharing the results of their game every day. I need it to stop. I'm just trying to scroll through Facebook and Twitter, trying to uh, trying to figure out the news of the day, and it's constantly being interrupted by the word wordles, some numbers, and then these little colored blocks that mean nothing to me, and everybody is going crazy over it. I spend a lot of time on social media, and I follow a lot of social media trends. I cannot wrap my head around this one. So if anybody wants to explain to me what Wordle is or why it's so popular, please do, because I am losing my mind over it. Speaking of losing my mind, I have another issue. We're seeing COVID cases uh, rise among juveniles right now, and it is affecting our student populations. And I get the quarantining and everything that goes along with that. What is confusing me is the close contact rules for sports. And 
for some reason, and I'm, I'm talking locally, I don't know what the policy is like outside of Lafayette Parish, but locally, one thing I've noticed is that a student can get quarantined and come back to school in a matter of days because of a close contact. But a student athlete, while they can be in a classroom with 20 to 30 other kids, all breathing the same air inside, they have to sit out from a sport, including outdoor sports, for something like 10 days due to close contact. I do not understand that. I do not understand why you are having to ruin these kids' athletic season due to close contact. When they're not getting sick, they are testing negative. Why can they not return back to their sports? We're in one of my favorite times of the year right now, which is the uh, district season of both soccer and basketball at the high school level. I've been an assistant coach for high school basketball. I've worked with soccer teams. I cannot, for the life of me, understand why these kids are having to be punished for testing negative and not getting COVID-19, because that's what's happening. They're in close contact in a classroom. We're not seeing spread in schools. We're still not seeing spread in schools. We're seeing spread outside of schools. But because a student sits close to another student for 45 minutes in a day. They have to sit out from their athletic season for two weeks, but they can go back to that classroom setting in a matter of days. You're punishing athletes and you're punishing teams. A good friend of mine who's a coach is having to go through this right now because of the contact tracing. Players are having to sit out. He cannot put a full squad onto the floor, onto the on onto the field, because contact tracing, not the disease itself, but just the contact tracing, is keeping his kids off the grass for fifteen uh, for 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 like ten days. It makes no sense. It makes no sense that we are continuing to punish our kids. We still have places around the country where schools are shut down. And you have groups that want schools to go virtual. Despite the fact that we're not seeing spread in schools. Even with the highly communicable Omicron variant, we're not seeing major spread in schools. What we're seeing is is behavior outside of school. That is leading to kids spreading to other kids. But in the classroom, in our schools, we still have mitigation efforts going on. And kids are not in close contact with each other really all that much in our schools. If you're working on a group project in a classroom, you're more likely. But if everybody's just sitting at their desk doing their work, even if you're within three to six feet of somebody your chances of getting it are still not that great. You still have a lot of students who are wearing masks throughout the day. You still have a lot of kids who are bringing their own hand sanitizer to school. You still have a lot of teachers who are making sure that their kids are not really wandering around the classrooms, potentially spreading something. But student athletes in particular, kids who 
the vast majority are able to balance their academic and their athletic lives very well. Kids who are putting a lot of heart and a lot of energy and a lot of dedication into a particular sport or multiple sports are being punished because they have to sit next to somebody in schools, despite the fact that they are not getting the virus from these kids in schools. One of the issues the legislature is going to be looking at is how we combat the learning loss from shutdowns and virtual days and hybrid days and all of that. All of the extreme quarantines and shutdowns and everything have done nothing but hurt kids, and this is just another example. We need to actually understand the science and the data behind this virus and this variant is not doing what everybody is panicking about it potentially doing. If kids are going to be running around on a football field or a soccer field, if they're going to be running up and down a basketball court, They're not at risk of spreading the virus to others. They're not at risk of getting the virus from others. But because one player on one team tests positive, you have to quarantine the entire other team for two weeks. It does not make sense, and our kids are being hurt not just academically, but now athletically as well. This is unfair. News Talk, KPEL, uh, News Talk 965 KPEL, the Joe Cunningham Show. We'll be back with you on Monday. Be sure to follow me on social media, Joe P. Cunningham on Twitter, the Joe Cunningham Show on Facebook. Check out the podcast form of the show. We'll see you guys next week.